Okay, John 15. Um, we are in the midst of the upper room discourse, and we, we come to, to John 15, which Jesus now gives us this illustration of the vine and, and branches. And I've titled uh, this whole section, verses 1 to 17, Abide in Me, and I in You, Lessons on Life in Union with Christ. Previous two weeks, we covered verses 1 through 4, which is the lesson about the fruitfulness of disciples in union with the true vine. So really quickly, let me just review for you some of the main points we learned from those verses. Number one, we learned that Christ is the true vine. He is the true Israel. He fulfilled everything Israel was supposed to be as the vine of God's planting. God's purposes would be fulfilled through him in the world. And the way now you get to become part of God's covenant people and made into a fruitful people is by your connection to the true vine, to Christ. We also learned that the that fruitfulness was the mission of Christ. So he is the vine. His mission is bearing fruit for God, filling the world with fruit. But as he returns to heaven, he's still working, right? We've seen this over and over again. But he's going to be working, he's going to be bearing fruit and continuing his mission through disciples, through branches. And so as a disciple, your mission is Christ's mission. He's working his mission out through you. We also learn that the Father superintends this relationship. He stands outside of this relationship between Christ and the branches, ensuring maximal fruitfulness. He does that by breaking off false disciples, and he does that by pruning true disciples. And then we learned about the duty of disciples to abide in Christ and to ensure that Christ abides in them. And uh, we're going to unpack more of what that means this morning. So to get us going, I want to ask you a question now. <clears throat> Do you want to be a fruitful Christian? I mean, really, a Christian who is covered with fruit. A Christian who has usefulness for God's purposes in the world. A life that counts for God's glory. A life that has the character of Christ and the will of Christ bubbling out from it. Do you want that for yourself? And if you're a true Christian in here at the deepest level, you say, yes, I, I, I do. I really do. But how? Where does that come from? What do, I, what do I do? How do I cultivate that? Say it another way, if I'm looking around and see fruitfulness, fruit, fruitlessness in my life or a lack of fruit or little fruit in my life, then what is at the root of that? What is the cause of that? What do I need to do to change that? Where does a fruitful Christian life come from, and how can that be made my own? I want to be a useful branch. I want to be a fruitful branch through which Christ is producing his fruit. But how? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And this morning we come to verses 5 through 8, which... Is another lesson in which Jesus tells us now about the identity of disciples as branches and the necessity of abiding in Christ. 
So this is very similar and repeats a lot of what we have already seen in verses 1 through 4, but now the focus is shifting. So verses 1 through 4, the main focus was on Christ, the true vine, and how he bears his fruit through disciples, but now the focus is on disciples, the identity of disciples, who you are, what you do. So look at verse 5 with me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is actually the first time disciples are explicitly called branches. He implied it back up in verse 2, where it says the Father is tending to these branches, but the focus there was on the work of the Father. Now he shifts and focuses explicitly on the branches. He says, you are the branches. He wants to zoom in now on your identity as a disciple. He wants to teach us what we are to expect if we do and do not abide in him. He wants us to know what has been promised to us. What is the great significance of being a branch? So that's what he's doing in, in these verses. And he begins in verses 5 and 6 by teaching us that disciples must abide in Christ because that is the exclusive means to abundant fruit bearing. So remember back in verse 4, Christ commanded us to abide in him. Abide in me. Now, what did that mean? Really quickly, let's do a little review of verse 4. How did we explain the essence of abiding in Christ? Do you remember? There's a little phrase we gave. Was it John 6? Whoever feeds on my flesh. Yep, so that was a supporting text for sure. Yeah, and that really illustrates what it looks like to abide in Christ. Yep. So John 6, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, this idea of dependence on Christ's sacrifice. There's a little phrase we gave that I think succinctly summarizes what it means to abide in Christ. It is this. It is persevering dependency. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? It is a persevering dependency. Abide means you remain, you continue. And the idea is you continue to depend on Christ. Disciples are in union with Christ by faith alone, and true disciples persevere in that same faith by depending on Christ, all that he is and all that he's spoken. That's what true disciples do. False disciples do not do that. And we'll talk a little bit more about how that looks like practically in your life. A persevering dependency. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It's a persevering dependency on Christ. And as disciples persevere in dependence on Christ, Christ will abide in them. So the illustration's perfect. As the branch stays connected to and depending on the vine sucking the juices, what happens? The juices of the vine fills the branches. That's what's going on here. As we abide, that's the means whereby Christ abides in us. When it speaks of Christ's abiding, it highlights his life-giving presence filling the believer. It's exactly what we learned in chapter 14. As a believer, you are the new temple in which the presence of God now fills in the new covenant age. The life-giving presence fills you, overflows from you like rivers of living water producing fruitfulness. What does it mean that Christ abides in you? He means he fills you with his life-giving presence. 
What else does it mean? It, Christ fills you. He abides in you. It means he supplies the spirit to you to empower you, equip you for the work. Christ abiding in you means he's directing you and working out his will in you. And only as disciples abide in Christ will Christ abide in them. And only as that happens will they bear fruit in their lives. So union with Christ and communion with Christ is the way of the Christian life. It is how disciples live. And no fruit is possible apart from that. So that was verse 4. But now we come to verses 5 to 6 where Jesus wants to unpack this a bit more for us. In verse 5, Jesus tells us about the abundant fruitfulness of branches who abide in Christ. So look at verse 5 now. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So not only is abiding in Christ essential to bearing fruit, but those who abide bear much fruit. You see that? Not only is it impossible to bear fruit apart from Christ, but as one abides in Christ, they will bear much fruit. So it's either no fruit at all, or it is much fruit. You see that? We get this phrase again in verse 8. The Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Much fruit is what is promised to you as a branch who abides in Christ. Much fruit is promised to disciples as they persevere in dependence on Christ. At this point, you're probably wondering, okay, I see that, but what is fruit? I think we asked this a few weeks ago. What, what do we mean by fruit? Much fruit there will be in your life as you abide in Christ. What is that? Well, let me give you a few background texts that I think help to fill it out, and then we'll try to unpack it from uh, John 15 specifically. This is the Old Testament text. We actually quoted this one at the um, beginning of John 15. Israel is the vine. What was the fruit Israel was supposed to produce as the vine? Justice and righteousness. They were to be the vine. According to Isaiah 5, 7, that reflected God's character of righteousness and justice through the earth. What else does it mean to bear fruit? Well, John, how does John specifically talk about fruit? Well, John 4, 36, Jesus says that already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So fruit here represents the souls that Christ has come to gather and, and give eternal life which the disciples will be a part of as well. John 12, 24, Jesus talks about fruit. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Christ is talking about his cross, what he will accomplish in his cross, saving many souls that have been given to him. So all of these things sort of clue us in into the background of the fruit Jesus is talking about. But what about John 15 specifically? John 15, where we are 
We've already seen that fruit is what Christ is accomplishing in the world through his disciples, right? It is the mission of Christ working in and through disciples in the world. Fruit is what disciples bear in line with Christ's mission. Well, what is Christ's mission? Well, we've seen it all through John. Saving all those sheep the Father had given him, creating worshipers in the world, transforming a people into be the image of God. That's what fruit is. It's all those things that Christ is producing in line with his, his mission. All right, so all that's background. Now, practically speaking, what does that look like? What does that look like in your life and in my life? Let me give you a few things, and these are just examples I've drawn from the immediate context in John. Fruit looks like the passing on of Christ's word throughout the world to more and more disciples. What we're doing this morning. John 14, 26, the apostles were to compose scripture. And then... Disciples take that scripture and continue to pass it on. It's fruit. Now, in that faithful witness to the world, the spread of the gospel, the ingathering of Christ's sheep. That's what Christ has been sent for, and that's why he's working his will out through you. So John 15, the apostles, you will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. John 20, 17, 20, I didn't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. The salvation of souls and the ingathering of Christ's elect. Fruit. Fruit also looks like the outworking of love done by disciples toward one another. Go back to chapter 13, verse 34. I think the example of love is one of the clearest in John of what fruit is, what it looks like. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In other words, this love is nothing other than Christ's love that he's loved you with, filling you, overflowing from you into acts of love to others. You see how that works? I know the love of Christ. I'm so filled with the love of Christ as he loved me that it's pouring over into love to one another. Fruit, acts of love to the body of Christ. Here's some more things. The joy and peace that fills and flows out of the life of a believer. Let me show you the joy. Look over at John 15, verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Same idea. The joy of Christ so fills the soul of the believer that it overflows into joy, the fruit of joy in your, in your life. It's fruit. Another one. Fruit is transformed lives of holiness and unity. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 21, I pray that they might be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, that the world may believe you sent me. It's a handful of examples of fruit that Jesus is talking about. And in verse 5, Jesus tells us that those who abide in him will bear much of this kind of fruit. Look at the rest of verse 5. 
Why is that the case? You'll bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. In other words, it's either very much fruit by abiding in Christ, or it's very no fruit at all for lack of abiding. There is no middle ground. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot bear a single one of these fruits apart from abiding in Christ. You cannot have a single act of genuine love for another believer if you don't abide in Christ. You cannot have effective witness. You cannot have a transformed life of holiness. You cannot do any of these things apart from abiding in Christ. But if you abide in me, not only will you be able to bear fruit, you'll bear much fruit, Jesus says. So this verse is here to be a spur for you and me. It's meant to drive us to abide in Christ. It's meant to wake us up to our mission, to the only way it's possible. It's here to warn us of thinking that we could do anything, even one thing of lasting value for the glory of God, apart from abiding in Christ. Any growth, any usefulness, any good in our life only comes as believers are in union with Christ and as they continually work out and experience that union by abiding in Christ. It's to warn us against passivity, thinking I'm in. I just coast now. Yes, you're in the true vine by, by faith, but true disciples actively continue to submit and depend on Christ continually. We who are already in union with the true vine must live in continual communion with him as well. And when you do, you can expect much fruit. But to drive that point home, Jesus now gives us a contrast to what he's just spoken. Look what he says in verse 6. He now gives us the certain judgment on branches, fruitless branches, who do not abide in Christ. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and are burned. This verse is zooming into verse 2 that talked about the Father's work, remember, of breaking off unfruitful branches. But the focus here is on why did those branches not bear fruit? What was under the surface? Why weren't they bearing fruit? It's because they didn't abide in the vine. They were false disciples. They were dead wood. They didn't have any of the life of the vine in them. So there's those who abide in Christ. They're true disciples and they bear much fruit. And there's those who do not abide in Christ. And they're false disciples and they don't bear fruit. There's no such thing as a fruitless disciple who abides in Christ. And there's no such thing as a fruitful false disciple who does not abide in Christ. So look at this judgment that's described here. The description is very similar to what we read in, especially Ezekiel, of the judgment described for faithless Israel. So let me show you one passage here, Ezekiel 15, 2-5. God tells Ezekiel, son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood, the vine branch that is among the trees of the forest? 
Is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on? No. Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. When the fire has consumed both ends of it and the middle of it is charred, it is, use, is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and it is charred, can it ever be used for anything? In other words, a vine is good for nothing except for fruit bearing. But if it fails to do that, Jesus says it is good for nothing. It's useless. It's only fit to be burned with fire. That's what Jesus is threatening here. False disciples, those who appear to be in union with Christ, but have none of the life of Christ in them, have no persevering hold on Christ, are like dead, fruitless, and barren Old Testament Israel. And I think the point is that the same judgment is reserved for them as well. So the point of verses 5 and 6 are to tell us that there's two kinds of people in the world. Often in the church, a community of disciples. There are those who have true faith in Christ, expressed in a persevering dependence on Christ, which results in fruit. And there are those who do not have a true faith in Christ, evidenced by the fact that they do not persevere. And they are but dead wood without the life of Christ and have no fruit in them. This is a very sobering thought, isn't it? It's meant to wake us up. It's meant to help us see what is at stake. It's meant to be a spur to keep us abiding in Christ, to keep us persevering. In one sense, if you're a true believer, you will persevere. He will guarantee you persevere. But one of the ways God does that is through warnings like this. Warnings of what will happen if you don't persevere are one of God's gifts to you to keep you persevering, to wake you up, to keep us up. Aware, I need to be persevering in Christ. I need to be communing with Him. Else I will drift and be nothing but dead wood. This question I want to ask you is, are you abiding in Christ? <clears throat> is dependence on and submission to Christ and His Word and His cross what characterizes your life? Not perfectly. I know that. We're growing, but as a pattern, a general pattern of your life, a general direction of your life, do you abide in Christ in this way? The next question is, okay, say yes. Are you able to identify real fruit that has come from that? Examine your life. Do you see real fruit that has grown from your abiding in Christ? It might be small. It might still be growing. Much fruit doesn't mean that it's immediate fruit just means that it's the end result. It's going to be much fruit. Is there any fruit there that has grown out of your abiding relationship with Christ? Because if you are abiding, you will bear fruit, much fruit. So verses 5 and 6 are here to wake us up, keep us awake, keep us persevering. And now we come to verse 7. Disciples must abide in Christ because it's the exclusive means to abundant fruit bearing. And now Jesus tells us that disciples must abide in Christ because that is essential for effective prayer. 
which is the practical means of fruit bearing. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So those who fail to abide are fruitless and they're judged. But those who do abide not only bear fruit, but now they're given this promise of answered prayer. So let's look at it a little bit at a time here. He first gives us the condition of abiding in Christ through his words. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. It's very similar to what he said back in verse 4, but he changes it a little bit. Here he says, abide in me and my words abide in you. Words, plural, represents all the individual teachings of Christ. Every one of them. It's not just the sum total package, it's each individual one. In other words, one abides in Christ by abiding in Christ's words. And as they do that, Christ abides in disciples by his words abiding in disciples. In other words, Christ's word and Christ's person are inseparable. You want to abide in Christ, you abide in his words. You want Christ's word, Christ to abide in you, you have his words abiding in you. You do that by feeding on everything he's spoken. So the idea is that nothing's left out, nothing's ignored. His words, every one of them. And as you do that, his words will fill and equip and nourish and direct you. And as that condition is being kept, you're given a command. The command for wide-ranging requests. Look what he says. Ask whatever you should desire. So notice this is a command. Ask. An imperative. You must ask. But it's also a gift. See that? Ask whatever you should desire. Open-ended. Disciples are not to view prayer as a burdensome duty, but as a gracious gift. You're to ask things of the Father, a command. And you can ask whatever you want, a gift. But if that condition is being met, so think through the logic now, that condition is being met, I'm abiding in Christ's words, and his words are abiding in me. What do you think you will be desiring? You'll be desiring to bear fruit. You'll be desiring to do the will and work of Christ. Your prayers will be shaped according to Christ's will. Your desires will be identical with Christ's desires. So that's why that condition is very important. You abide in me, my words abide in you. Then whatever you're desiring, ask. And then he gives you the promise of answered prayer. It will be done for you. Guaranteed promise. The requests made by disciples are so in line with Christ's will that they are certain to be answered. These are the kinds of prayers we should be praying. This is the kind of confidence that we should have when we pray. Look at a few passages. Go back to John 14, verse 13. John 14, 13. We have several of these in the upper room. I'll show you this one. 
John 14, 13, whatever you ask, open-ended, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Your fruit should abide so that... Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. In other words, there's a close connection between the mission that you've been given as a disciple and the role of prayer and the promise of answered prayer. So, we often do not pray with this kind of confidence, do we? We often don't pray these kind of prayers, I think, because we're disconnected from the mission that we've been given. We're focused on other things. That's why we don't pray like we ought. That's why we don't have the confidence that we ought. Our prayers are disconnected from the mission. Our prayers are disconnected from fruit. Our prayers are not directed by Christ's desires. They're offered with little confidence, and rightly so, that they would be answered. This doesn't mean we can't pray for all kinds of things. We should. But we just don't have a promise that those things will be answered. Rather, the main meat of our prayers ought to be those things that grow from God's Word, grow from Christ's desires, those things that are integral to the mission that you've been given. That's the main meat of our prayer, and those are the things that are guaranteed for you. So let me give you some examples. Pray. Ask God for more fruit in your life. Ask Him. Ask for the assistance in the task of proclaiming or explaining the word. It's what I have to do every week. I am impotent to do what I'm doing now. And not only that, but that any lasting fruit should come from it. Ask Him to do it. Ask for the increase of knowledge of Christ's love, joy, and peace such that it flows out of you. Ask Him. Ask to love Christ more. Do you ask things like that? Do you think the Father's going to deny that request? Of course not. He wants you to love Christ. Ask that you may see more of Christ's glory. Ask that God would use you in whatever way you would desire. Ask for cleansing away of hindrances to fruit bearing in your life. When was the last time you asked for those kinds of things? Jesus says, if you're abiding in his word, those are the kind of prayers you're going to be asking. And they will become... Your will, Christ's will, and his words are in you, and they will become yours in experience through the means of prayer. Prayer is the God-ordained means whereby he will work these things in your life. So, i show you another passage here, 1 John 5. And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know we have the requests we have asked from him. The purpose of prayer, according to this verse, is to be the practical means 
whereby we express our dependence on Christ and the practical way Christ produces fruit in us. You abide in Christ not only by feeding on his word, but by depending on him in prayer. And as you do that, you will bear fruit. That's the only way to bear fruit, is a life of prayer that's saturated with scripture. So if you feel fruitless or feel, man, I just don't have as much fruit as I would like, examine your prayer life. What kind of prayers do you pray? Are they directed by scripture? Why not? Are you filling your life with the word? Have you forgotten the main thing you're to be about in life, producing fruit as Christ's branch? Have you forgotten that prayer is essential in this process? You will not bear fruit if you're not asking for it. The call this morning is to be reminded of these things and then pray in this way. We cannot expect to bear any fruit apart from the means of Scripture saturated prayer in Christ's name. So disciples must abide in Christ. It's the exclusive means to abundant fruit bearing. Disciples must abide in Christ because it's essential for effective prayer, which is the practical means for fruit bearing. And finally, in verse 8, disciples must abide in Christ because the glory of the Father is at stake. Look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Any fruit we bear ought to redound to the Father's glory. It's the ultimate end of all fruit bearing. That was the ultimate end of Christ's ministry and that's the ultimate end of us as branches. The Father's glory not our glory. But how does that work? How does our fruit bearing, as we produce fruit, how does that redound to the Father's glory? How does he get glory out of that? I think very simply, it's because the Father is he's glorified through fruit bearing because the Father is the ultimate source of this fruit. Ultimately, it's the Father who sent Christ, through whom the Spirit was sent. The Father planned redemption the Father chose you as a sheep. And the Father's life now fills you through His Spirit. It's the Father who's answering your prayers. And that's how He's glorified. He gets all the credit. He did all of it. He's also glorified because He's the ultimate goal of this fruit. Any fruit you bear as a disciple will result in others being brought into a relationship with the Father. It will result in the character of the Father being spread throughout the world. It will result in the growth of his people more and more into his likeness. It's for his Father, the Father's glory. It's at stake. As you bear fruit, the Father's glorified. That is your mission. Look at the final line in verse 8. By this, my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Fathers also glorified as disciples demonstrate their union with Christ. It's literally, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so become my disciples. 
In other words, as disciples bear fruit, they become in experience what they already are in standing. You're already a disciple, and you become a disciple in experience as you are bearing fruit. You're proven to be real. You're proven to have been a genuine disciple of Christ. And Jesus says, when that happens, the Father's glorified. Why? I think it's for the same reason. Who said Christ? Father. Who planned redemption? Father. As it's shown that you're in union with Christ, it draws eyes back up to the fountainhead from which it all is flowed, which is the Father. That's why you need to be about fruit bearing. Father's glory is at stake. That's why you need to be abiding in Christ. It's the only way to bear fruit. It's the only way to have effective prayer. And so prove to be his disciple. So do you want to be a fruitful Christian? It's what we should desire. And that desire should drive us to abide in Christ. Only as the life of Christ is pulsating in us, through the Spirit, through his word, as we're abiding in him, depending on him, feeding on him, praying, will we bear much fruit. And as we do, we'll be the instruments through Christ is producing his fruit in the world through which the Father is glorified. So let me exhort you as you go, abide in Christ. You're in union with him. Now live out that union. Experience that union. Commune with him day by day, moment by moment. Any questions, comments as we wrap up this morning? Yes, Bob. Could you just explain a little bit um, when we see apparent fruit in unbelievers, such as parents loving their children sacrificially, or you know things that we would categorize generally as very loving things? Um, how do you distinguish that from true fruit? Why, why is there a disparity still there in those instances? Is it just common grace? Is that how we would kind of categorize that? Say it like this. Um, we got to be careful as we examine fruit. Sometimes it takes a long time to realize what kind of fruit is there, whether it's real or not. Um, but just as it goes in the, the one direction, right? If you're abiding, you should be bearing fruit. It works the other direction too. How do I know this fruit is real? It's real if it's come from a relationship that was abiding in Christ. So we've got a couple minutes. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Let me show you this. 1 John 5. This is really interesting. Wait, John tells us several times that um, this is how we know we love God. How? When we're loving others, right? How do you know you're a person that genuinely loves God? You have a life of love for one another, right? But he flips it here. Look at this, John, 1 John 5, 2. By this we know we love the children of God. Fruit, how do you know that? When we love God and keep his commandments. So I think that's the same thing there. How do you know it's real fruit, real love for others? It's growing out of the soil of a genuine love for God, a genuine abiding in Christ. So I say as we examine fruit, where is it coming from? Is it coming from that communion, or is it self-produced you know, by something else? So, excellent question. Any other question, thought? Yes? Produce like 30 fold, 60 fold, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I'd say that there's a lot of factors in there. Some is how the Lord is ordained, His sovereign providence working through your life, what He's ordained. Some of it comes from, I think, as we abide more or less in Him, right? So there could be degrees even in, in that. So it's good. All right, well, we are out of time. Let me pray and I'll let you go. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask you, in the name of your Son, with full confidence, According to his promise that you, Lord, would produce fruit as we have looked at your word, studied it, cause lasting change now in our lives, that we would be more fruitful and would abide in Christ. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.